the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I'll tell you one man who I think felt very uncomfortable when it rained, and that was Noah. And I don't think that's stretching it to say that Noah must have felt very uncomfortable when it rained. Now think about how the global flood affected Noah. Have you ever thought about what it meant to this man? Real man, family, friends, property. For one thing, he and his family were saved, but all of his friends and relatives were destroyed. Do you realize that? His property was destroyed. The civilization he had known was absolutely wiped out. Nobody left. One writer said this, the flood was a holocaust of major and unique proportions. Puts it in language. It's a little bit closer to modern era. Now put yourself in Noah's place. Think as if you were Noah for a moment. How would you feel every time you felt some rain after the flood? Because we know before the flood there was no rain. Early chapters of Genesis tell us that. Every time you felt a few drops of rain, you know what you would be thinking. Is the sky going to open up? Is there going to be another downpour like I just went through? You'd have a fear, as I would, that another flood A global flood was coming, and you would want some type of assurance and reassurance from God that he's not going to destroy the world again by a flood. That would be only natural. You'd have to think like that. And that is precisely what God did for Noah and for all of humanity. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. This is really the last section dealing with the flood. We have studied the flood for several weeks now. God has emphasized it in his word, but this is really the last section. And it's not so much about the flood as it is a promise that God will never judge the world again by a flood. Now, there are local floods, but not a universal flood, not a global flood, not a worldwide flood. Now, the content of these verses reveals something more, though, than a promise. You know a little bit about the promise because we've touched on it. There's also, in giving this covenant to Noah... Theologians call the Noahic covenant for obvious reasons. God not only gives a promise that he'll never destroy the earth again by a flood, but he wonderfully gives Noah and us a sign, a pledge, so that we can have some assurance. Now, we know that God keeps his word, and we really don't need a pledge. We don't need a sign, but God wants us to have it. God wants to comfort us. God wants to assure us. And that sign is a beautiful rainbow that we usually marvel over, but most of us have never really thought about what that rainbow signifies. Now, what this tells us about God, before we even get into the text, is that the Lord is concerned about the fears of humanity.
it's time for Verse by Verse. And I'm sorry to say, but this is the final session in our series titled Noah and the Flood. I do find I'm a bit sad that we're coming to the end of this series. I have found it to be interesting, encouraging, and uplifting. There are a few things that stand out to me from this series. God is a holy God and hates sin. God is a loving God who has great concern, love, and kindness for humanity. And today, when we see a rainbow, we might marvel at the beauty of it. But to Noah, it was much more than a thing of beauty. It was a promise from God that the next time there was rain, it would not cause a worldwide flood. I'm sure that brought a lot of relief to Noah the first time he saw a rainbow. Pastor Steve will be explaining the Noahic Covenant today on Verse by Verse. According to an article in the London Times, Americans suffer from several fears. Did you know that? Heading up this list, the greatest fear that all Americans have, they say, or at least most Americans, is the fear of speaking before a group, public speaking. Other fears include heights, deep water, death, flying, loneliness, darkness, and there are several others. But surprisingly, one fear that is not mentioned, which uh, I would think would be mentioned, is the fear of storms. There are a lot of people who just are afraid of storms and things that go along with storms, such as tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, lightning, mudslides, thunder. I'll tell you one man who I think felt very uncomfortable when it rained, and that was Noah. And I don't think that's stretching it to say that Noah must have felt very uncomfortable when it rained. Now think about how the global flood affected Noah. Have you ever thought about what it meant to this man? Real man, family, friends, property. For one thing, he and his family were saved, but all of his friends and relatives were destroyed. Do you realize that? His property was destroyed. The civilization he had known was absolutely wiped out. Nobody left. One writer said this, the flood was a holocaust of major and unique proportions. Puts it in language. It's a little bit closer to modern era. Now put yourself in Noah's place. Think as if you were Noah for a moment. How would you feel every time you felt some rain after the flood? Because we know before the flood there was no rain. Early chapters of Genesis tell us that. Every time you felt a few drops of rain, you know what you would be thinking. Is the sky going to open up? Is there going to be another downpour like I just went through? You'd have a fear, as I would, that another flood a global flood was coming. And you would want some type of assurance and reassurance from God that he's not going to destroy the world again by a flood. That would be only natural. You'd have to think like that. And that is precisely what God did for Noah and for all of humanity. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. This is really the last section dealing with the flood. We have studied the flood for several weeks now. God has emphasized it in his word, but this is really the last section. And it's not so much about the flood as it is a promise that God will never judge the world again by a flood. Now, there are local floods, but not a universal flood, not a global flood, not a worldwide flood. Now, the content of these verses reveals something more, though, than a promise. You know a little bit about the promise because we've touched on it. There's also, in giving this covenant to Noah, theologians call the Noahic 
covenant for obvious reasons, God not only gives a promise that he'll never destroy the earth again by a flood, but he wonderfully gives Noah and us a sign, a pledge, so that we can have some assurance. Now, we know that God keeps his word, and we really don't need a pledge. We don't need a sign, but God wants us to have it. God wants to comfort us. God wants to assure us. And that sign is a beautiful rainbow that we usually marvel over, but most of us have never really thought about what that rainbow signifies. Now, what this tells us about God, before we even get into the text, is that the Lord is concerned about the fears of humanity. In fact, built into the Noahic covenant is God's concern and love and kindness to mankind. We saw this last week. The Noahic covenant is really the basis for what we call common grace. Common grace is God's kindness to all people, all of humanity, regardless of their spiritual condition. Now, he gives us special grace as believers, but God is kind to everybody in terms of feeding them and providing clothing for them and shelter and all the things that are necessary to carry on human life. And we saw that last week, that God built into the Noahic covenant. He gave us the ability to reproduce so that children carry on the human race, food to live. He said, all animals are yours. Not only can we eat vegetables, but now we can eat animals. As well as he's given us government to protect us from murder. It's a deterrent to murder because we have been created in the image of God. So this is common grace. Now this morning, we want to take this covenant a step further and look at the promise to never destroy the earth again with a flood, as well as a pledge to assure us that a global flood will never reoccur. Let's begin by looking at the promise of no more global flood. Verses 8 through 11, Genesis chapter 9. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, and I establish my covenant with you, all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. Now the dominant theme of these verses is that God is making a promise never, ever to destroy the earth again through a flood. But who has he made this promise with? Well, he made it to Noah, But it also says, and to Noah's descendants, that's us. He's made this promise to Noah and to us, verses 8 and 9 tell us that. But also, and very interestingly, God has made this promise to all the animals, the animal kingdom. Notice verse 10 again, and it says, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and he mentions them, God is making this promise to even the animals. Now, can the animals comprehend this? No, of course not. They can't comprehend God's mercy to them in this promise, but it does show us that God does care about the animal kingdom. God does care about animals. In fact, Janetta just sang, his eye is on the sparrow. If God cares about the sparrow, he cares about us. Just a few thoughts on that. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air that they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And they said, Aren't you worth more than them? God cares about the animals. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, 
Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? I think about that when I'm running and I come across a little dead bird. And I think God knows about that. Not only does he know about that, he actually has concern for that little bird who just died. But I want you to notice something, too. The last phrase of verse 10, and we often don't think about this, that God has some concern for the animal kingdom. But it says, even every beast of the earth. God has made this covenant even with the wild beasts of the earth. You say, well, why would he do that? I think the thought is this. God's providential care is over even the wild beasts. Because this is a covenant made with everyone who lives on the face of the earth. It is a covenant really with all earth dwellers. And that includes even the beasts of the field. So God has made a commitment It's very simple. It's not hard to get. God has made a commitment to the inhabitants of the earth, both man and animal, that despite man's sinfulness, which he told us about in chapter 8, that even though man is still a sinner, the flood didn't change man's nature. He's still a sinner. He still deserves a flood, but God's not going to send it. He'll never again cut off man and animals by a flood. Now, we do know from 2 Peter chapter 3 that God in the future will destroy the earth by fire, but never again by a flood. So that's God's promise. It's unconditional, I might add. Mankind doesn't have to do anything to get this. Some promises are conditional, but this is totally unconditional. But I want to take us a little bit further and focus on this. Not only has God promised that he'll never destroy the earth again, but he's put a sign in the sky, something to remind us of his incredible kindness and mercy. So we move from the promise to the pledge. Verses 12 through 13. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. These verses speak of a sign that God has put in the sky. And it's a sign to tell us, a sign always points to something, about the covenant that God has made. The sign is a visible reminder to us of God's word of grace. The sign points to God's grace. And what is that sign? We call it a rainbow. God says, I have set my bow in the cloud. Now, God expands on this in verse 14. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. What is the significance of a rainbow. I want you to know there's no pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz sang, somewhere over the rainbow, there's a better world. Dorothy was mistaken. What is the significance of the bow that's seen in the cloud? Well, the Hebrew word for bow is the common Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament to refer to a hunter or a warrior's bow, like a bow and arrow. That's the common word. There's no special word that's used here. It is the common word for what a hunter would take and just pull on that and the arrows would fly, a bow and arrow. So the picture then, and watch this, this is just precious. The picture then is God putting his bow in the cloud because what he's telling us by is that he's already used his bow to shoot judgment on the earth and now he's set it in the cloud without any arrows because he's already shot the arrows of judgment. You know what it's like? It's like a boxer saying, I'm through. I am hanging up my gloves because I'm never going to box again. I'm never hitting anybody again. 
God has said, I am setting my bow in the cloud to show you that I'm never going to use it again to send the arrows of judgment in the form of a flood on the earth. Isn't that good? That's what it's about. It is a visible reminder to us that God has set his bow never to be used again in terms of the pouring down of rain. And after the rain shower, we see a beautiful rainbow. When we see that, it's God's sign to us that there won't be another flood of judgment. Why? Because his bow is now without any arrows. No more arrows to shoot. He's already sent those arrows. No more judgment as far as a flood is concerned. Not only is it a reminder to us, but it's a reminder to himself. And this is very interesting language, verses 15 through 17. And I will remember, God says, I'll remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, does God forget anything? No, God never forgets anything. God never has amnesia. This is just presented to us in human terminology, not because God literally forgets anything, but it's in human terminology to convey to us that God is faithful to his word. God doesn't have to look at the cloud to remember what he did. We do, but God doesn't need that. God knows exactly what he's doing. It's just saying to us in very human terms that God is faithful to keep his word. Now, what are some of the spiritual implications of God's rainbow? The rainbow is intended to remind us that God is merciful. That is the point of it. And every time you see a rainbow, you ought to thank God. That's the point of it. You ought to thank God. An old German Lutheran tradition was to teach their children to pray the Lord's Prayer whenever they saw a rainbow because it's a reminder to us. And you ought to reflect on God's mercy. Do you realize that we deserve judgment? Perish the thought that we should ever have to go through the horrors of a global flood. Horrible. You ought to look up and thank God for his mercy. Thank him for his grace. As I said before, no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Dorothy was wrong. The point is that a rainbow ought to remind you that God is merciful to you, and he's still merciful, and he'll never break his word. There's never been a flood like that again. Secondly, the word rainbow is mentioned two times in the New Testament. Did you know that? And both times it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's very interesting. I'd like you to turn all the way from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, and that's Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, John, the apostle, is given a scene in heaven of a throne. It's a vision of God's throne room. God in all his glory. Chapter 4 is God the Father, his throne. Chapter 5 is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, in the throne scene there. So John is given a glimpse of God's throne in heaven Just before the tribulation period, there's coming a time after the church is raptured when God will begin a seven-year period of time known as the time of Jacob's trouble. We commonly refer to it as the tribulation period. And that's the context here. And I want you to look at verse 5. And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder... Now, let's just stop there for a moment. What that means is that there's a storm of judgment about to hit. God is letting John know and all of us know 
that just before the judgment of the tribulation, God is letting us know that the storm of judgment is about to hit. And that's the message. Because in the throne room of God, John understands that God is holy and God's holiness demands judgment. John sees God the Father in all of his splendor and holiness and now there's thunder and lightning and all of that. God is getting ready to judge again because he is holy. But I want you to see something else in that throne room. Verse 3, if you go back, here's what John saw. And he who was sitting, that is God the Father, was like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. There was majestic splendor, sparkling splendor. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. I'm not sure why it was an emerald in appearance, except green is one of the colors of the rainbow, but that's not the point. The point is that there is a rainbow there. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of God's holiness... There is a rainbow around the throne which says that there is not only holiness in God, there is mercy with God. That's the message. God is not only holy, but he's merciful. Now, in chapter 5, the throne scene continues. There's someone else in heaven. Not just God the Father, but there's God the Son. And in chapter 5, verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. That lamb is none other than Jesus Christ, and he is called the lamb slain because Jesus Christ was the lamb of God who died for our sins. He was slain on our behalf, and watch this, only in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as the slain lamb can holiness and mercy come together. Only in him can it come together. God's holiness demands that you and I pay for our sins forever and ever, that our sins be paid for. Do you understand that? God's holiness is so infinite, so eternal, so beyond us as creatures that he is so holy that when God sends someone to hell who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ, they pay for their sins forever and ever and ever. It never ends. That's how holy God is and how offensive sin is to him. But the love of God, the love of God moved him to offer grace and forgiveness to us. And he did that with the cross. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's holy demands were met. Because the infinite, eternal God in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, died for our sins. God was satisfied with that. He is the eternal God. He paid an eternal price for all of our sins. And he not only died for our sins, he rose again to offer eternal life to us. And at the cross, God's holiness and his mercy, the Bible says, they kissed Psalm 85.10, loving kindness, which means mercy and truth, have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You know where they kissed? They kissed at the cross. As gruesome as the cross was, it was holiness and mercy kissing each other. God could never offer us salvation unless our sin was paid for. God's love moved him to the whole cross situation, and God's holiness demanded the cross, mercy and grace 
and holiness all met. So just as the rainbow reminds us that God won't judge us by a flood, so the cross reminds us that he's already judged his son for us. And I understand in an audience like this, there's always a mixed crowd. Most of you have accepted Christ as your Savior. You have repented of your sin. You have trusted him alone for the forgiveness of sins. But there are always some who have never done that. For whatever reasons, they have never done that. And I want you to understand that the cross of Jesus Christ, his death for you is the only way of salvation. It's the only way that you can be forgiven. It's the only way to have new life in Christ. If you have never trusted Christ, this is what salvation is about. The theme of judgment has been part of our series on Noah and the flood. Humanity was judged by the flood for their sin, while Noah and his family were delivered because of their faith in God. Well, today we put our faith in the death of Christ on the cross. Both the rainbow and the cross are signs of God's promise to those who have put their faith in Him that they will not be judged for their sin. It is forgiven. What a great series this has been. Perhaps you've wanted to share this with someone, but you've not been able to tune in every time. The Verse by Verse podcast is a great way to share this series. If you go to versebyverseradio.org, you will be able to subscribe to our podcast or visit the archives page where you will find past programs of Verse by Verse. While we are done with this series, we'll be starting another series on our next Verse by Verse program, and I hope you can join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.